Hey everyone, welcome back. My name's John. And I'm Nicholas. And welcome to another week's episode of Quality Conversations with Klaus. This is, as you know now, a customer service podcast featuring stories of companies and individuals that go that extra mile to create exceptional customer experiences. And today we spoke with Clemens Beyerend, formerly the Global Director of Customer Support at Bitpanda. And he's actually now consulting Web3 and crypto companies on AI-driven customer success strategies. A lot of companies are talking about AI in support, but Clemens had a really good hands-on experience with it and some really insightful things to say. We also talked a lot about outsourcing in support and the pros and cons of that. And we also discussed how implementing internal quality score and sentiment analysis helped Bitpanda to get a more accurate overview on how their support was performing compared to solely relying on CSAT. Also, if you have any thoughts or things you'd like to discuss on this episode, please head over to Klaus's LinkedIn or qualitytribe.com. And now, time for our conversation with Clemens. Well, Clemens, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to talk with you, not only about your experience you know, in crypto and Xbit Panda, but also about where you see the market going as well. Before we get started, we've got our traditional quick questions to get to know you. Number one, what is your latest obsession? Uh, it's definitely AI in customer support. I mean, like currently everybody is using like this uh, chat GPT to generate content. Also, I think the Jasper AI had a great run, like one of the biggest unicorns in the US. So everything what is like text to image or text to text AI, this is like what brings me joy right now. And I think everybody can see in my LinkedIn posts that not every single piece is like only human made. And the great thing, it frees up time for other things. So for instance, for being on a podcast. Exactly. Nice. Okay. Question number two, which conspiracy theory do you think you could be the most susceptible to? I love this question. It's so amazing. We could make like a whole podcast only about this question. So like in the crypto industry, there's like this statement that people say like that the Bitcoin was actually made by the CIA. And this is something where I could say like, I mean, like it's the solution technically is so perfect and so nice and everything. And it comes out like all of a sudden. So yeah, either it's the CIA or whole thing. I think it's also written in his Wikipedia article. He uh, worked on some similar topics before, but uh, sadly he, he passed away a few years ago. But I think it's like the closest guess to who Satoshi Nakamoto is, if it's not the CIA. Wow, we could definitely have many podcasts about that on the side. Awesome. I would love that. I've actually never heard that before. Have you heard that, John, that conspiracy theory about Bitcoin? No, but now I'm going to spend my entire evening researching about that. So uh... <laughs> Yeah, and they even there are even like arguments like based on the name Satoshi Nakamoto and then translated to Japan and then it's like something like all seeing eye or whatever and then it goes back to the CIA so it goes like full circle. I don't know if you've listened to a podcast called Winds of Change, which is another conspiracy about the CIA writing the song Winds of Change by the Scorpions to tear down the wall. Because they wrote it, I think, a year before to capitalize on the winds of change in Europe. Uh, and then they kind of needed a theme song. And maybe they took credit for it. Maybe they created it. Who knows? Or like some random guy in Sweden who writes all the pop songs. <laughs> I think that's true, isn't it? <laughs> yes. It's actually true. Nice. Uh, last question for the intros then. 
if you had the opportunity to spend as much as you want on a support team and it would be a one-time purchase, how would you spend that money? That's an easy question. So on some no-code AI tool. So for instance, I create providers for this is like Manners.ai or Sentisum. And with Sentisum, for instance, I also did like a podcast. Um, it's linked in my profile. And it's actually about how you can leverage AI in customer support. So everybody who's interested in this topic, just for my LinkedIn profile and listen to the other podcast, but don't quit this podcast before. <laughs> we'll link it afterwards as well. Awesome. Cool. So now we're going into a focus on customer support trends, past, present, and future. So the first question I have for you is, you know, you spend a lot of time in the crypto industry and you're also looking towards the Web3 industry, which is a really interesting thing that's coming about now that a lot of people are speaking about. So what overall support trends do you see for those industries right now? So we are going through a recession, I think worldwide, uh, even if some people are still denying it. And for um, customer support in crypto, I think outsourcing become like a huge topic, especially due to cost cutting and the CFOs like to have people on a flexed payroll instead of a fixed payroll. And I think this would have looking back avoided like a lot of pain in the industry. Uh, so let's say like the top three exchanges in crypto, I think they did everything in-house. Maybe one big player currently is outsourcing. And I'd expect in the next months that we will see like all the big players following, joining big outsourcers as teleperformance and so on. So that's definitely like a trend that I see. Then another trend that I see is related to community management. So actually it's the same as outsourcing. So that you set up some sort of ambassador programs where actually the users help each other with general questions on your social media channels. We have so many regulations and like hot topics in crypto and sometimes users are really upset. So they go on your social channel, complain. But the thing is when you then come like as a company and try to calm them down, the feedback is not that valuable to them. But if another customer comes and calm them down and explain them why certain things are designed in a way as they are, the feedback is way more better received. I agree. So crowdsourcing your users to support each other. It's sort of why whenever I Google something that's wrong with my, you know, my phone or computer, I type in Reddit afterwards because I want to know what other people think of it. And that's usually what I find to be most helpful. I was quite intrigued in the beginning when you spoke about outsourcing. Um, and I think it's a good angle of risk minimizing. And also in terms of when you have to let people go, it's much kind of smoother process in a way. Do you see any pitfalls here? Do you think it's all good? Support is getting more and more outsourced. No, it, it, no, it's not. So for instance, everybody in the world knows Robin Hood, the broker for stocks crypto and everything else. So Robin Hood was something like the blueprint for the whole industry, I would say. They planned to do phone support. What happened? They went for an outsource and they had a data breach. And this is still horrible. I don't wish that even like to my worst enemies, not that I would have any enemies, but I don't wish it to anyone. So definitely when you onboard an outsource, uh, check how they do the security and also how they charge you. I talked like a few weeks to some outsourcer from the US and they charge the customer per resolution or per solution of a process. Not something like per ticket, because if you then get charged per tickets, the outsourcer don't have an incentive to actually improve the process and to remove the tickets because he earns money by that. 
So be aware like what outsourcer you choose and also how the payment structures. That's also a really nice tip for the actionable takeaways as well, because I'm sure a lot of these people in a support role are also uh, going to be the outsourcing partner um, or relationship managers as well. And it's, it's massively overlooked. It's quite blocking when you come with this topic because the biggest challenge, what I see, what you need to overcome is because your own internal systems, like your admin interface, they need to set up in a way that not everybody can access the data. So you need to make molds for the outsourced agents because maybe they should see a little bit less. And then getting the priority for product management to implement these requirements, what you have for the outsourcer. And usually it's like, happens a lot then people say okay we onboard the outsource and we do this later so you need to get everyone on board with this process but as a customer support manager if you realize you run into a situation where you hire a lot of stuff because you need it and you don't have any alternative because setting up all the automation is way on a too short notice that's something that i would say or as an advice to every customer support manager who's facing towards hyper growth push hard for this topic even if there's setbacks and people are blocking it, really stand there on your point and explain them why they need it. And usually the CFO is the best person to get you on board because they even say if we overpay in the short term on agents. So for instance, we get the outsourced agents in for only a few months and pay like a higher price as you would pay for internal hiring. It can be better in the long run just because you don't have them on your permanent payroll. Of course, from people perspective, with the outsourcer, you need to make sure that the people who are outsourced, that they don't feel like some, I don't know, not part of the team or anything. And this is maybe from people management, the most difficult thing. So also make sure that you visit them, that your team meets them, that you send them some merch from your brand that they identify with you. Maybe the listeners are all aware of these things because they seem very basic to me. And then regarding the industries that you've had a lot of experience in, those crypto exchanges as well, those web-free companies, they're very competitive. So how are they utilizing support and how does good support help them stay competitive? I would not even say that it's about staying competitive. It's about staying in the business at all. Because once you have this reputation that you're like a service that is not reachable or something, people don't want to load funds with you. And if people don't want to hold funds with you and destroy it, you will not have like any trading volume or like any assets under management, and then you will fall out of business. Let's go a tiny bit more narrow now. Um, so, so going away from overall big customer support trends to focus on quality and quality assurance as well. At Bitpanda, how did you define and measure quality? Um, so we had an internal quality score. Why did we implement an internal quality score? We made the observation that at some point CZ was not a good metric for quality. Why was it not a good metric for quality? The reason is that customers usually rated our replies based in the performance of the portfolio. So when the Bitcoin price went up and even we had like a huge backlog and long waiting times, customers were happy because they were all in the green and making money. But once the prices dropped of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, customers really got upset because they're making losses and then they got like super impatient. So therefore we said, okay, let's ditch CSET, especially our CSET always stay in a certain range. And therefore we implemented internal quality score and this internal quality score 
we based on certain things. So like did the customer agent follow the process? Did he use the right tone of voice? Or did he find an individual solution for the customer? Did he customize his line or did he just send some template? So with the internal quality score, we could get out like this impact from the market and could really look at things as they are without getting influenced by the price changes of Bitcoin. I very much agree, but it's something I sometimes have to preach to friends and colleagues and customers that although CSAT is nice, it does definitely not tell the whole truth. But I've never heard it from the crypto perspective before and that it actually more represents how you feel about your portfolio than the customer support that you receive. What made you realize that? Was it like this big epiphany moment after bashing your agents for not having good scores when the portfolio went down? Or how did you come to that conclusion? What we looked at was our AI tool and we saw the sentiment and also like the volume for each topic where our customers were talking about. And at some point we just asked them, hey, can you look at how the sentiment overall of all customers is changing with the Bitcoin price? And they were like, yeah, give us a week or two. And then they came back with the results and then they could actually show us in the data with a two weeks delay, CSET or the sentiment from the customers is following the Bitcoin price. I mean, CSET and sentiment are two different things. So CSET is every time where people like actually take part in a survey. Sentiment is a little bit better because you also look at the replies on social media and everywhere just based on the world and give it then like a sentiment score. And if the sentiment we could clearly see it's following the Bitcoin price. But with the CFED, it was also quite close. So then you decided to focus internally more than externally. You mentioned some of the categories that you set up for the team so that would be kind of easy to follow and to make it objective. Quality, obviously, is, is sometimes very subjective and it depends on who's grading. How did you get around that? I think it's like a journey where your QA team has to go through. Also, what I would recommend every customer support manager is get a delegated QA team as soon as possible, because this is like a journey where your QA team has to go through. And I would say, looking back then, we didn't finish this process completely. This was something we were aiming for, but I would not say that we were super successful and already achieved mm -hmm. this goal. But we were aware that we have to work towards it. No, for sure. I think a lot of people listening, they know exactly how difficult it is to make it objective and actionable and easy to follow for newly onboarded agents. But then with that in mind, knowing that you might not have done that 100% and it's still quite difficult to follow, how do you still create a good feedback culture? How do you make your agents pivot their focus from CSAT over to this internal quality score? So first of all, when you talk to the employees, it's always important that you highlight also the positive things that they are doing. So not go there, just tell them the negative things. So for instance, I'm from Germany, from Baden-Württemberg, and there's like the saying that if you don't complain about an employer, then it's enough praise. So when you work in an international environment and you have like this attitude, which is typical German, then it's really getting bad. So always highlight the positive things, then go to one negative thing and then end with something positive. Then also what's important to highlight that they tell the people that like how they are, like as a human being, doesn't depend on the performance. So for instance, on one side, we told them make as many contacts per hour and work on as many cases as possible, but then they should keep quality up. And I mean, usually there's a trade-off mm. between these topics. Not always, but usually. Yeah, exactly. Um, you were talking before about 
that you did implement a QA department or you should have done it earlier, whether you're talking about Bitpanda or, or in general from your point of view. When do you need a quality department to do that? You know, quality dedicated employee instead of just, say, the team lead that is also doing a lot of other, other things. Okay, so we tried to do it with the team leads for a very long time, but there's like a conflict of interest. So for instance, you have like a head and you have some team leads and you have the agents and the head is then going to each team lead, how's your team performing? So if the team leads are doing QA of their own team members, they have an incentive to make things better than they are. So you don't have like an overview of quality is going bad. So therefore you definitely need like a delegated team. Especially for small companies, it might be difficult to have a full-time position on this topic. So this is then something what we would need to look in an individual case. But what I can definitely say and highlight, it's never the wrong time for implementing a QA tool. Even if you are super busy, you have the craziest crypto hype, you have a huge backlog. Even if it's only one person out of hundred is then starting to do some QA because the agents will demand feedback from you. And you need to provide it. So this is something like a requirement that they also get feedback for their work. Yeah. And the agents wanting, craving feedback is very much a good thing. That usually means you have a very good culture of agents that want to develop and learn and actually do better, which I think is, is a trend that I see more and more companies that I speak to. We talked before about just having a QA department. When does that go hand in hand with having a QA tool as well? QA tool comes first, mm. I would say. If you have like the QA department before, perfect. But just because you don't have a QA department, don't let you stop from getting like a QA tool. Mm. Because if the QA department, it very often is like, especially in big corporates, there's like a long approval process and don't wait until you go through this approval process. Mm. Get the tool, make the informal structure, talk with the people, and then also explain them like, that you maybe see them in the QA team, but since you are like working with slow decision-making processes, you need to get the thing started. Now we've talked a lot about uh, things that you were trying to achieve with quality and that you realized that CSAT was quite dependent on portfolio, et cetera, and on what you did to counter that. But what was your team's biggest pain point? Definitely the onboarding of the agents. So QA, we really, really started early. But we then maybe had a little bit too late the idea that we also need to teach people like the very basics about crypto and blockchain. Of course, we hired like a lot of people who had like experience in this field, but like sometimes we also had people, they brought like another skill set to the table. So for instance, they spoke five languages or something like that. So these people you definitely want to hire. So therefore don't assume that everybody understands crypto and blockchain. So this was maybe our biggest mistake what we did. Mm -hmm. We changed it and corrected it, but it definitely costs us some time and quality. What I'm hearing is that for very complex industries where your job as an agent, the, the questions you deal with are very complex, then you should maybe value previous knowledge in that industry higher than certain customer support skills. Yes, but the thing is usually with people have already the knowledge and also maybe worked in customer support, they quite quickly move to other departments. Because as customer support department, you usually have in other teams finding like the most qualified people. So this was also where I was struggling a little bit that like you actually train an agent for a year or two years, and then they move to another department. So therefore you want to speed up the process and bring in people on a good level. 
because like the best people will leave you at some point. Of course, some people have like a deep passion for customer support, but let's be honest, like a lot of people are joining customer support for crypto companies because they want to go into the industry. Mm. And then after a few years or months in customer support, they want to change to another position. I mean, it was great for us because we got really, really good people, but you just need to be ready that they leave you at some point. And I think that transitions really nicely into the final segment, which is often my favorite, which is all about actionable takeaway. So someone can listen to this podcast and what can they implement in their support team right afterwards? So what's one thing that a customer support manager or leader could do to improve in their role? I think for everyone, like in the whole customer support team, it's important to do minimum, maybe half an hour, an hour per week, still some tickets. That you see the systems, that you work through the documentation, through the flows, through everything. And then you really understand the pain from the agents. And then you walk in their shoes and then you increase your empathy. And then you also know like what you need to fix and what you need to improve. And so don't, just because you are like a customer support manager, never stop talking to the customer. And I think this was something which really worked well for me. Yeah, I mean, you want to keep your finger on the pulse as to how your agents experience things and how they feel, right? So it's super important. And it can be applied to so many different roles, especially commercial roles. And then from the other side, uh, what is one thing that a customer support agent or representative could do to improve? And by improve, I mean, what could they do to be recognized within the company or promoted, for example? So usually it comes like with soft and hard skills. I would say, I always told my agents, think the ticket backwards. Think about the whole journey where the customer went through. Also, how he clicked through our contact form, maybe why he selected not the right category. So this is like a really, really good way how you can improve. And of course, like soft skill wise, what I would recommend like to customer support agents, always try to have a positive attitude. Because all people in customer support during a hype are usually stressed. And if you can keep like a good positive attitude and you pull other people up instead of pulling them down. We had like one group, they were always like in a super good mood and then like another group, which always had like a bad mood. So what we did then just like try to mix them up somehow that not the people in a bad mood were pulling each other down. And then the people with the general more positive outlook, like also for the future could then pull the other one up. And this is really important that you can survive hype in crypto because you will work really like long hours, also crazy hours. So therefore you need to make everything possible that people have a positive attitude towards work and that they also know like, okay, this hype will also pass by, we will get through this and it's not the end of the world. I agree. It, it, it's the same in any role that I've worked in, but people that have gone on to be those team leaders and the people that have been the most successful ones are the positive motivators, no matter what their circumstances are as well. And, you know, with customer support roles, it, a lot of the times it's seasonal as, as well. I mean, I'm sure people listening right now, you know, know that the Christmas period can be incredibly busy. So maintaining that positivity and bringing people up. Yeah, your managers will recognize that for sure. Um, cool. And then now I want to talk about a bit more about your own personal experiences with support. So which companies or company recently who you've had an interaction with? Who are doing support the best and why? And it'd be great to kind of recap one of your experiences. So of course I would say that for Bitpanda, because as I already said, I was there from end of 2017 to 2022. So we definitely had also like this crazy crypto hype in between. So therefore, of course, customers were happy because they all made 
uh, money, as I explained previously. So on this one, I maybe are a little bit biased, but if I would have to look within the industry on another company and um, who I was, let's be honest, who I was always jealous on is the creating exchange because they even offer phone support, live chat and email for the customers. They are like also super easy to reach. And um, I don't know like how things develop now since they also cut it like a lot of stuff. Maybe they changed like a few channels. I mean, it's not a bad thing, also not a bad thing for the customers because they need to make sure that they are getting through the bear market as a, as a company. So no blame on them, but that's what's really impressive that they were able um, with that side to provide uh, phone support to their client. Because I think if you can provide phone support to your customers as, as crypto exchange, that's really like the cherry on the top. Nice. Thank you so much for that. Mm-hmm. And may I add like one thing, as I said, that the trading or the portfolio performance is influencing like the CSET so heavily. So based on this lesson learned, I'm currently also working together with some um, broker from a friend of mine. It's called Meli app. So they are currently setting up cryptocurrency broker based on these learnings. So they will provide their customers, like for instance, like stop loss orders and trading strategies, and will try to educate them about the market. Because maybe what many people don't know about this year, like 75% of all retail traders of Bitcoin made a loss. So there's definitely like some space how you can educate customers without giving concrete financial advices, but you can at least educate them what they should do and maybe when to cut a loss and maybe in what projects or altcoins they should not invest in. Because usually with altcoins, it's very often hard to predict if they are around in the next bull run. Yeah, that's so true. I think let's call that a wrap, but you will have a standing invitation to come back to the podcast, Clemens. I'm, I'm very excited to see where your journey with Web3 will lead you. And I hope you can come on a podcast again and share more insights on this space specifically. It's very, very interesting. Definitely. Yeah, 